Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. I'm Sarah Kunin. I am a TV producer currently working in unscripted development. You may know me as a supervising producer at Good Morning America for many years, or most recently as the showrunner, executive producer, and director of Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce, which is on the Magnolia Network and Discovery Plus. Sarah Kunin, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we are due for an amazing conversation. I have pages and pages and pages of research here. I think we'll probably run out of time before I get to everything. I hope not, uh, because I am genuinely curious about all these these things. Some of these things are like evergreen. Some of them just happened yesterday. So uh, without further ado, I'd love to hop into your bio and let this audience know a little bit more about who you are and your background. Sarah Coonan is a three-time Emmy and Edward R. Murrow award-winning television producer with over a decade of experience in the news and entertainment industry. She's worked closely with top celebrities, athletes, chefs, newsmakers to deliver compelling content to millions of viewers across the country. Sarah began her career as an intern at ABC News Radio and steadily rose through the ranks to become a supervising producer at Good Morning America. She's produced hundreds of exclusive and competitive interviews for nearly every ABC News platform, including Good Morning America, World News, Nightline, 2020, ABC News Live, and the Primetime Specials Unit. She was on the ground in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, live in Times Square on election night in 2016, on the procession route during the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, on the red carpet and backstage for five Academy Award shows, and on the field at three Super Bowls, which I'm sure was just a wild situation. She co-produced dozens of special events during the highest rated period in GMA's history, from the viral Roar with Katy Perry competition to the first ever wildlife safari broadcast live on network television. Sarah was Michael Strahan's anchor, producer, at ABC News for five years, where she directed shoots with guests including Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michelle Obama, Tom Brady, Kerry Washington, Mariah Carey, Matt Damon, George Clooney, Britney Spears, Julia Roberts, and Drew Brees. What a list. Uh, Prior to working with Strahan, Sarah was the head of food and lifestyle producer for Good Morning America, working with nearly every major celebrity chef in the industry, During that time, she produced all of GMA food contributor Emerald Lagasse segments, including his annual Breakfast in Bed Mother's Day Sweeps event. In addition to her continued work on her show, Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce, she is currently developing a number of unscripted projects and continues to work as an independent senior producer and media consultant. Wow, oh wow. That was an, an amazing uh, bio. 
I mean, what? that was a lot. I'm sorry you you read through all that, but thank you. I, I, you're like the best publicist I could ever ask for. There you go. I love reading, so <laughs> it all works out. What what is and what or what was the Roar with Katy Perry competition for those who don't know? Oh my goodness, that uh, that was a trip to say the least. So that was I want to say, gosh, probably 2012, maybe 13. Um, Katy Perry just came out with Roar, her now iconic single, but she came on Good Morning America and launched this competition where high school students could um, vie for the chance to have a concert at their high school. So thousands of kids uh, wrote in, they submitted videos um, trying to convince her to come. And my job as the field producer at the time was to travel to all these schools all around the country and have these massive pep rallies, literally, you know, two, 3000 kids at six in the morning in a gym in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. And so literally for a week straight, I think I flew from Phoenix to Reno, Nevada to Pickerington, Ohio. Gosh, I can't believe I remember all this. Um, and ultimately, the concert went to a high school outside of Denver. And yeah, we basically like had a pop-up Katy Perry concert in the middle of a high school. It was pretty awesome. In Denver? In Denver. In, yeah. um, yeah. gosh, I wish I could remember the, the school. Lakewood High School, maybe? God, I, I don't know. There's a weird producer brain. Like I have this strange photographic memory for some of these shoots because really they're just so intense that you can never really forget them. How do you control the crowd in a situation where it's a pop-up concert, they're not expecting it, and it's high school kids. How did you, as a producer, sort of keep everyone safe, I guess? Well, by the time we got to the actual concert, the kids knew that they had won. And so that was that was great. And you know, um I'm I'm sure we had plenty of security and lots of hands on deck. But in those uh segments leading up to the announcement of the winner. Yeah, I think it was me, um, my camera crew, maybe a PA and, you know, a prayer. <laughs> like, please, please don't uh, storm the, the camera. But no, they were super respectful. The teachers helped out quite a bit. The thing about live morning TV, there's just this level of adrenaline that everybody has. I, I think it's sort of hard to explain, but you're just, you have these superpowers. You just are, you're able to get it done most of the time. Yeah. Everyone's a mother with their child trapped under a car. They can just lift yeah, the car it's, it's all intense. of a sudden. It's yeah. intense. It is intense. I want to go back a little bit and we will jump around as we do on the Make It podcast. Uh, I want to go back to your childhood. You grew up with an entrepreneurial mother, someone who had to, I'm sure, influence you in dramatic ways and allow you to sort of have this personality that you have, that adrenaline you talk about, the the go, 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 and sort of the the badass in you, as you've as you've quoted before. Uh, yeah, your mother Lisa spent her life in radio with Book Direct NY. What, what was it like growing up around radio and growing up with an entrepreneurial mom? You know, before it was you know cool to be a business owner or cool to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, dude, I am so impressed with your research. First of all, I mean, you pull out Book Direct, like who knew or that where where you found that? That's awesome. Um, yeah, she she was amazing. She um she had this company for um my entire childhood. And this was obviously, you know, pre COVID 30 years ago, um, working from home, um, she would organize satellite radio tours with big authors around the country. Um, my sister also is in production. Um, now she's a nonprofit event planner, but she also, you know, she worked on movie sets. 
I I grew up in New York city. So I kind of saw it all around me. I saw so many creative people, so many hustlers, just people just getting it done. Um, but I, I kind of felt like I had no limits to what I wanted to achieve. Even if I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at the time, I saw so many folks just going for it, not necessarily pursuing that traditional nine to five that, um, is so common. And so, yeah, um, that, that was kind of the start. I, I loved seeing, again, that adrenaline of, you know, my mom booking all of those interviews, my sister working in TV and movies and then events. Um, and myself, I, anytime I saw like something filming on the street, I would always peek over. Even in high school, I guess this is jumping ahead a bit, but I went to LaGuardia High School, which is like the mm-hmm. fame high school. And every day I would commute from the east side to the west side and I would pass the ABC News headquarters. And I was just blown away. I mean, I would see the lines outside. I'd see paparazzi. I'd see like celebrities walking in and out. And I was so jazzed about it. So really just wanted to get in the building. That's, that's kind of what I always dreamed of. And so the fact that I was able to wind up there feels just even to this day, so surreal. I had a similar moment on a trip to Chicago when I was in college and I was really into my major at the time. I was like, sure, I was going to be a journalist. And uh, I double majored in journalism and and marketing, online marketing specifically, or e-marketing at the time is what it was called. But I remember seeing just the size of the Chicago Sun-Times building and thinking, oh my God, I I need to be in that building one day. Like I need to, to do that. And it was bigger than any building that existed in Nashville. So this is pre-Nashville growth, right? Like this is like Nashville's a very small town. There's not even 800,000 people that live in Nashville. Sure. So going to see just sort of the the depth and breadth of a big city uh, was, as an adult, was a big deal because I went all over. My mom was an entrepreneur as well. And she would take us all over the country. We would always drive everywhere because she was terrified of it flying. <laughs> yeah. And she had like social anxiety about being like a big woman on a plane. And so we would drive everywhere and it'd be comfortable. We'd get hotels, whatever. But I would see the whole countryside. I'd see everything. But as a kid, you see those things differently than you would when you can contextualize them as an adult. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So speaking of like driving by ABC all the time, when you were in college, you took a field trip. Can you tell us about your field trip to ABC? Yes. Um, This was a real turning point. And it's just so wild because I remember waking up. I think I was I was 19. It was January in New York City, freezing cold. And I was home um, on a holiday break and they had organized a trip to Good Morning America. And I was it was like 6 a.m. I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. This sucks. Um, But you know, I always, like I said, I just wanted to get in the building at ABC, the actual Good Morning America studios in Times Square. But I hauled myself out of bed. I went down to Times Square, which if you're familiar, Times Square during rush hour is a beast, to say the least. Um, But made it, got in the building and stood on that set and something in me just clicked. I can't even explain it. It's the first time I felt like, oh, this is where I'm meant to be. The cameras were going. The stage manager is counting down. It's all live. There's people outside holding up those signs that, you know, you see on morning TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just like, oh, dang, this this is this is my spot. So I was like, I got 
so energized walking around the building, meeting, you know, the folks on air and off the, the, the place that was most kind of exciting for me was the control room. I'd never been in a control room before, you know, there's 50 different feeds coming from all over the world. And, uh, I just knew this was it. That's where I wanted to be. So I basically stalked the guy that organized <laughs> trip through my college. He's the father of a, of a kid that went to my college, Hobart and William Smith. And I was like, can I get an internship? And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, he worked at ABC radio and I was like, I will do anything, whatever, just can I get in this building? He eventually introduced me to somebody. I mean, this was after maybe a month of sending emails, just following up, hope you're doing well. And, uh, he got me that unpaid internship at ABC news radio. And I think that was 2007. Um, and that was it. I, 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 ha- I started my sophomore year, the summer between sophomore and junior year. And, um, I stayed at ABC until 2018 and I still freelance to this day with them. Amazing. An amazing story. Just it's cliche, but I find it to be so accurate. Like 80% of it is just showing up. Right. And did yeah. you get up on that cold January morning at 6am and just attend Literally. Just, just go. Because no one makes you do anything in college. It's like, no. are you going to go or are you going to not go? The fact that you win, I think, is, is great. I do want to circle back, and we'll talk about it later, about this idea of growing up in New York and you just seeing hustlers everywhere. We had an interview recently with Alex Ferrari, who has built this sort of giant infrastructure around independent film. And the the question that came out of that interview was, is Alex Ferrari a filmmaker that hustles? Or is he a hustler that makes film? Because because he grew up in, I think he was Queens, Jamaica, Queens, something like that. But anyway, he had been sort of living that hustle life since he was like five years old. And he was telling all these stories about. Did he work where? Does he work with Marin Morris? Uh, I don't know. I got to ask him. I think I've met him him before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. No, no, please interrupt me anytime. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's he's an author. He's got a couple of books as well. And so he's he's doing all sorts of things, but around the the same universe. And you, what you get from his interview, you start to realize, you know, he's just somebody that's gonna go do stuff. Right. Right. So I, it just makes you wonder. But I'm gonna circle back because I have a question about that. You know, when you start early in your internship, you you worked your way up. And I know that for you, one of your proudest moments is watching the PAs and interns that worked with you start to blossom in their own career because they were the hardest working ones. Is there a mistake that you can remember that helped you become a better producer or a better creative early on? Yes. That's so funny you asked that because there was one moment that was a total mistake. And I remember always thinking like, oh yeah, this th- it was so obvious. It was a great lesson that I learned. Um, it was the first day of the internship at ABC News Radio, and Steve Jones was the um, president, I guess vice president. I can't remember his title, but he he ran the operations at ABC News Radio. Mm-hmm. They are in charge of thousands of ABC affiliates across the country. And day one, all these interns walk into the big conference room. We're sitting around this table, and then some of the radio executives are in the room. And he said, do you have any questions? And nobody asked a question. And he waited. Nobody asked a question. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I want you all to know that this is a very rare opportunity for you to ask anything to any of these people in this room. And none of you took advantage of that. So I want you to remember that. 
I did. I mean, that second, I was like, oh my gosh, I thought of like 50 questions off the jump. <laughs> and, you know, I, I want to say every day since then, I was that annoying intern that was asking everyone everything. But I just learned like, yes, you, you have such an incredible opportunity as an intern, paid or unpaid, you are granted a pass into these buildings that people would kill to be in, make the most of it ask every single person how they got where they got, ask if you can help. Don't just make coffee and file papers. Yes, that's part of the job. But if you are raising your hand, asking to volunteer on weekends and holidays and stuff, they're going to take you up for it. And then you kind of fast track the whole process. Yeah. It's a controversial take that we have in terms of just advice given is to young independent filmmakers is work for free early. And I think sometimes when you're interning, you're focused on the fact that you're not getting paid for all the work that you're doing right? and not focused on how rare the opportunity in front of you might be. Oh yeah. You're getting paid. It's just going to, the, the, the money will come later. Be a a long player, right? Yes. Yes. The long game. It's a marathon for sure. That's exactly right. And I've, I've also found that any specific knowledge that a person has, like a Steve Jones, let's say for example, that he can't teach that to you in a training. He can only teach it to you in an apprenticeship. Right. So you can only learn it by letting a part of yourself become him, for example, if that's what you want to do. Right. And they'll say, okay, well, find somebody who really needs what you do. All right. So what makes most independent film shorts terrible? Bad sound. So if you're a sound person, Find that filmmaker and say, I'm going to make your sound incredible and I'll work for free. And then now you've got a film team. If you're a great editor, if you can see that, oh, that film really missed on the edit and you can go in and edit. Now you've got a team. Now it's not mercenary anymore. You can play long-term games with long-term players and it's going to suck early in terms of pay, but that's what couches and friends are for. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes. And luckily, living from New York City with my whole family there, I ate many meals with them. I did many loads of laundry in their buildings. Yes, you have to, you got hustle in those early years, but it, the, the payoff comes so quickly, especially just what you said about um, showing somebody what you can offer them. Like, as, as an intern, I was another set of hands that, let's say, you know, there was um, a reporter, um, Aaron Katursky, who I, looked up to, he was an, he's an amazing reporter and journalist and was out in the field with his little kit by himself. And I was so inspired by him that I would say, how can I help you on the shoot? And so he'd take me along everywhere. I got to go to, you know, the stock exchange and different fun. We went to the Nathan's hot dog eating competition, the 4th of <laughs> July, because who wants to work on the 4th of July? Well, this intern who just wanted to do cool stuff. So, you know, you show these folks, Hey, I can help you. And here's how, then they're going to be more likely to then you know, pay, pay back the favor. Um, so it's such a small business. You just got to remember that these relationships are, are everything. Yeah. I think it's one of the main things. Uh, do you remember who won? Was it Joey Chestnut or Kobayashi? That year, I think it was Kobayashi 2007. Oh man. If I'm right about that, then that would be some yeah. real craziness. I, I'm going to have to look that up. After. I'll get, I'll get our best people on that and figure <laughs> yeah. out if you're and I'll text you and say, if you're right or wrong, I, I couldn't be there in person. When I watch those guys dip those hot dogs in the water and eat them, it kind of gets something going on the inside for me. Oh. I, start I to interviewed get a, little a guy. My assignment as the intern that year, I can't believe I remember this. Where does this come from in my brain? This guy, Crazy Legs Conti, I think. <laughs> 
who was on one of the guys clearly did not did not place but I interviewed him in a nightclub because he was a manager there and I'm this like little 19 year old in my in my button-down shirt and my little microphone just like so jazzed about it and then looking back just like what was this? But anyway, what was his last name? Crazy Legs what? Crazy Legs Conti, I think. <laughs> Wild. I wonder what he's up to. Yeah. Oh, I've, what, you literally took the thought out of my brain. Like, I'm going to Google this guy as soon as this conversation is over. Crazy Legs Conti. Yeah. <laughs> the hot dog eating Crazy Legs Conti. Um, yeah, like the fifth, pl- fifth runner up or something. It's so amazing. Funny. That's amazing. So while you were at ABC... Uh, you were the head of food and lifestyle and you did a ton of stuff with these uh, sort of elaborate food sets. And one really stuck out to me where you had George Stephanopoulos and the Muppets, the Sesame street Muppets. Can you, how difficult was that? That was, that was especially challenging. Let me tell you, there's (laughs) those, those uh, Sesame street folks, they know what they're doing, but um yeah, it's live TV. I mean, that was, that was, gosh, what was it behind the scenes? There's this iconic photo of Julia Child um, where she's doing a cooking segment. And then under the table, you see like 20 producers handing her a spatula and a whisk and an egg. It was oh, kind of like amazing. that. Yeah, it was it, there. The, uh, I guess, what what are they called? Like a puppeteer? The, the, El, the voice of Elmo was behind the table. He had a little monitor that was, you know, a direct feed of what our cameras were shooting. So he could see where his hand was reaching and, you know, he would ask uh, George to stir something. And then I think Cookie Monster was involved, but there are all of these folks behind the table and they really need to know all the choreography. Now with live TV, a lot of times things go off the rails and that's kind of the fun of it. So it was very delicate balance of, you know, letting things kind of flow naturally, but then not completely screwing up all of the Muppets behind the table who were just trying to like find their bowl of flour. Um, So that was a fun one that, and, and you've never seen folks more excited on a set than when Elmo comes walking through. I mean, grown men were like, Elmo. (laughs) Does Elmo really come walking through though? Or is it like a person with Elmo with Elmo? Yeah, he's on his hand, but then he really manages to kind of step back and people are having full on conversations with his hand. It's it's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the I mean, so no one remembers the guy he and he intentionally doesn't want you to remember him. It's like, no, right. right. It's all about it's all about Elmo. But yeah, uh, all the encounters we used to joke. um, I mean, there's this elevator, this giant elevator on the set of Good Morning America that you could literally drive a car into. It's so big. And we would always joke about the people that you meet in the GMA elevator, because in one typical day, there would be, you know, Elmo, like a fire breather, maybe like Taylor Swift, Emeril Lagasse, and then a bunch of like surly crew guys, like moving set pieces all in this one thing going from the second floor to the first floor. And we were always like, man, there should be a camera in here. This is its own show. Like the people you meet in the GMA elevator. It's the best club in New York. It really is. an elite club. <laughs> yes, an elite sure. club. You, let's go to, <laughs> what club do you want to go to tonight? I want to go to the GMA elevator. How about you? 100%. That would be a good spot to, to be in. So there is a little bit of magic to it, basically. There's a ton of people that are off camera that are making sure that the flower goes into the right bowl. And, yes. and why George Stephanopoulos? 
why, why not? I mean, is there <laughs> anything better than this political genius? And Elmo, right. he has a great sense of humor. He loved, he loves cooking segments. I mean, I, I always felt like, you know, for somebody like George who has to sort of play it straight so often, I think a cooking segment is just a nice way for him to kind of, you know, loosen up the tie a little bit and have some fun without really going over the top. And then, you know, Elmo is so iconic. The Sesame Street is so iconic. There's all these adorable kids. I think he saw kind of the beauty in it and totally bought in. And we were just lucky that he was game to do it. I thought he was like a brilliant choice. You were Michael Strahan's producer for roughly five years. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about what that experience was like, but without naming names before we get into that, because Michael was one of the people that did this, but without naming names of, of whose food it was or whatever, how many times and were there times that stuck out to you that you guys had to lie about the food tasting good? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, luckily, GMA has the best food stylist in the entire world. Her name is Karen Pickus, and she's a dear friend of mine. And she was able to make any food taste good. Now, with that being said, some people's recipes were not always the most delicious. And so sometimes you would find Karen like, oh my God, like, you know, scrambling in the basement kitchen, trying to make things, you know, presentable. And a lot of times some people would come on the show, not even necessarily knowing their own recipes. So that was always a little challenging. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and we also had the best chefs in the world, um, you know, Michelin star chefs walking on that would absolutely crush it. But yeah, not everybody likes the food. Another fun thing that I learned, um, the hard way was uh, one very important question to ask as a food producer, when you have new hosts that come on the show, ask them what their food allergies are. I had one host that didn't tell me that he was allergic to coconut and we made these like amazing coconut brownies and he took a bite and then immediately ran off the set on live TV. And that was, that was a bummer. He was fine. Everything was fine. But yeah, the things that you learn, you know, the questions that don't sort of go through your brain, like, oh yeah, I guess I should ask if any of the anchors are are able to eat all of this food. For about 30 years, I unintentionally misrepresented my allergy to coconut. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a young kid, maybe five years old, I was given a mounds bar. Now, first okay. of all, to hell with whatever adult gave me a mounds bar. Yeah, that's messed Who up. Who does that? Who does that's that? That's rude. That's just wrong. And I ate it. And then that day I'd gotten a rash and I correlated this new candy bar that is made of nothing but chocolate and coconut, this new candy bar with that rash mm. and avoided coconut for 30 years, telling everyone I met I'm allergic to coconut. And then I came to find out through creativity of people around me trying to like catch me in this. Yeah. They would put coconut in things without me knowing, oh. coconut oil, things like that. Because they had suspected that this just isn't true. Yeah. And they're like, where's your rash? Where's your allergic? <laughs> and, I, and I realized that, yes, I'm not allergic to coconut at all. I just convinced myself of that. And I just didn't want to test the waters. Yeah, mounds are so, just gross. That's, that's yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, now, that being said, I haven't had a mounds bar since. There's just no reason no. to eat that candy bar with all the choices drawer. we have. Yeah. If you're going to go coconut, at least get the almond in there, you know, no, but, but no, there's, yeah. we've got better options now. Yeah. So many more, like throw me a, <laughs> throw me a Twix. Right. I'm good with that. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do a Twix all day long. So anyway, Michael Strahan, 
Yes. Uh, by the way, we do tangents here. That was one of them. <laughs> All good. So do I. My brain is, yeah. <laughs> this is, you got a live TV brain like me. That's it. That's it. What was that like? What was the experience like? I, my understanding is that he's a, a genuinely nice guy, but is there something about him that most people don't know? He is the best. Truly, I, I, anytime anyone asks me, who's the, who's the nicest celebrity you've ever met? I'm like, well, Michael Strahan is just the best friend, colleague, uh, supporter, teammate. I mean, this guy, you know, he, he played 15 years in the NFL. He's a hall of famer, has a super bowl ring. And yet he is one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. He treats everybody equally like to the point where the president of ABC news and an intern could be walking in the building and he would speak to them both exactly the same. And I think that's a quality that we should all, you know, use, we should treat everybody with respect, of course, but he's so good at just staying grounded, staying humble, being genuinely curious about, you know, the people that he interviews. Um, and you know, I was always just inspired by the fact that this guy, you know, he didn't go to journalism school. This wasn't the obvious path. Um, but he he pursued it because he had this sort of natural talent and he was brave and he took a risk. And, you know, I love that about him. I, I tried to do that in my own life, too. Like sometimes you're not always going to be, you know, the most prepared or, you know, following a path that seems obvious. But if you're really hungry for it and you work super hard and you always show up, then you might very well be successful. So he's just awesome. And yeah, I, I don't, I, I can't think of anything nicer. I mean, he's just, I have no, nothing bad to say about the man. He's just the best. What's your favorite Michael Strahan story? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know if there, I can tell them all on, on a podcast. <laughs> um, what's a good Michael story? Well, so I, I will say, um, Michael is a man of many talents. You, if you watch GMA or him on any of his other shows, um, Fox NFL Sunday, you know, he, he's really funny. He's super talented, but sometimes I would be surprised at how good he was at kind of weird things. For example, we, uh, went to radio city music hall around Christmas to shoot with the Rockettes. Okay. And, you know, Michael has maybe 30 minutes in his day because he's got, you know, 20 jobs and he's got speaking engagements and he's flying to this event and this and that. So when you're able to shoot with Michael, you have a sort of tight window, especially when it's something like, you know, the Rockettes, which is great, but it's not like a hard hitting interview. So we're like 30 minutes. Let's see what we can get. When I tell you this man was in the Rockettes rehearsal, kicking higher and straighter than any of them. I mean, he was like in a line and it looked like he had been practicing for his entire life for this moment. I'm just like, where did this come from? But he's just, he's, he has this crazy way of just absorbing knowledge and skills, especially physical stuff like that. But he crushed it. He was like probably the best rocket in the room that day. So stuff like that. I mean, I have 50 different stories I can tell you about all the ways that Michael has surprised me in, in his many skills. But yeah, that was, that was a fun shoot. Yeah, he's one of those people that just has the, the infamous it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the, yeah. Uh, uh, thing we just can't put our finger on. He's very charismatic. <laughs> He's very charismatic. Uh, I think he won, you know, being a winner um, uh, at an elite level like the NFL is, you have to have a little bit something more. 
because everyone is an elite athlete. Everyone's the best at their job. They were the best in their college, et cetera. And I grew up playing a ton of sports and I'm a big advocate of like being on a team and understanding that dynamic and what it teaches you. So when you layer in, you know, sort of his personality traits and the effect he probably had on the locker room where somebody probably could make a mistake and it'd be totally fine. Like, hey, we trust you. Next play, you know, that kind of thing. Then you're just playing for each other. You're linking arms and you're just going out there and and winning. Uh, You've seen it all uh, for uh, 10 years. You you ran like a chicken with its head cut off, producing live television. How accurate is the morning show on Apple TV Plus as sort of an example of yeah, it, it's morning TV. It's pretty, it's pretty close. They did a really good job. They actually um, came and shadowed um, in our control room. Oh. Uh, yeah. Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston kind of like, you know, perched up in the corner of the control room <laughs> for a couple days um, before, while they were studying and, you know, preparing to, to begin shooting. Obviously not all of the drama that you see on the show is quite as accurate. But in terms of that, that energy and, you know, people, when you wake up at three in the morning every day for a decade, I mean, something happens to your brain. It's, (laughs) it's, it's it's crazy. It's, and, and then you have this kind of shared experience with your coworkers. Like I was seeing my colleagues more than my friends and family um, for most of my time at GMA. So you have this really intense bond with the people that you work with. You see them at three in the morning. Sometimes you're still at the office at seven, eight at night. Um, you know, there's also that adrenaline of GMA of, of morning TV that I keep talking about that kind of connects you in a certain way. And then just the competitiveness of it all. Like there are the other morning shows that, you know, you're constantly fighting for exclusives. Um, you, you want to have that tease that they don't have. You want to have the booking that they don't have. So it's just such a unique environment, um, that sets you up kind of to succeed anywhere. I think if you can make it in morning TV, you can, you can kind of make it anywhere in the business. Yeah. I seem to think that has to be the case as as well there's just what a training ground and look we just talked about the power of team when you work like that that's just a new team that's just team dynamics the question i have is are you able to sleep past 3 a.m today like do you still kind of are you super trained now to just wake up at three even if you don't want to be up at three Sometimes, sometimes it took me a full year out of, of morning TV to actually like really be able to sleep through the night. Um, I have a kind of unhealthy relationship with my phone because I had two cell phones for, (laughs) yeah, you know, um, I had two cell phones for basically my whole time there. Um, we would get breaking news alerts. Sometimes we'd be called into the office extra early. Um, and so, you know, you have to kind of unlearn some of these habits and I still kind of struggle with some of that to this day. I mean, it's definitely been better for my health to, to sleep through the night and to, you know, I only have one cell phone now. I put it on silent at night. Um, but yeah, no, some of those habits, you they're, they're hard to break. That's for sure. Yeah. So if you ever want to go back into it, you kind of got it built into your mental somewhere. You can always slide back into waking up at 3 a.m. if you need yes. to. I occasionally uh, still work. So when they're during COVID, sorry to interrupt you, by the way. No, please go um, ahead. During COVID um, and with, you know, 
folks not really traveling as much as as they were, especially in the earlier days. Um, ABC had a bunch of shoots in Tennessee, and so they reached out, and I said I was happy to help. So I had a few early mornings this year and and 2020, um, and I just was like, how did I do this for so long? <laughs> Literally one morning, just and I drove. I think I drove down to Franklin. I'm like, oh my goodness! And then also being in Central Time, that added the an, you know an extra hour. Um, yeah, it. I'm so grateful for my time there. I don't think I could do it long-term again. <laughs> long-term again. Yeah, exactly. So I'd love to talk about that because I wonder if they just said, we got to go down to Tennessee so we can see Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I but I wonder uh, what that move was like for you to to say, okay, I w- I'm, I've been doing this morning show producing and now I'm going to go into a new realm of entertainment, a new space. You sold your first show to Chip and Joanna Gaines and the Magnolia Network Discovery Plus. It's called Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce. And it has this different approach than other renovation shows, uh, primarily because the the male in the show is the designer and the female in the show is sort of the contractor. So if you watch Chip and Joanna's show, uh, then you fix her up or then you know that that's kind of they built this empire on him being the guy who does the demos and Joanna coming in with her brilliant design. So these roles have flipped. So explain the concept a little bit more, if you don't mind. And and where did it come from uh, in your mind? And I I guess as a third piece for the audience, was there a moment also in your pitch where you just knew, okay, I think I'm going to sell this. Yes. To all of that. Um, So, I met Brooke and Bryce when I first moved, maybe four or five months after I moved to Nashville through a mutual friend, their neighbor actually. And uh, they have day jobs. So Bryce is an orthodontist. He has an orthodontics practice um, in, in East Nashville called Elevation Orthodontics. And Brooke is a pharmaceutical sales rep. So she works at Amgen. They have sort of traditional jobs. They went to college, pursued these careers, but they always had this passion um, for designing and building just with the reverse roles, like you said. So they had a, a tricky situation with a contractor when they were building their own house. They kind of took the, the power back. They taught themselves how to do this stuff. They built their house. They finished their house. And when I met them, I walked into their home and I just was blown away by how stunning it was, period. I didn't know that they did it. I'm like, wow, you guys have a great home. Yeah. And then Brooke said, oh yeah, well, you know, I made these stairs and I made this wall. I made this table. I made this chair. I was like, wait, 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 you made it? What are you talking about? You made this. She's like, yeah, this is kind of what we do. Bryce designs and I built. Um, I immediately was like, I mean, my GMA brain went off. I was like, this is a couple I would book on Good Morning America. They're, they're so cool. They're reverse roles. They're showing, you know, new possibilities for people to kind of break down traditional barriers that, that exist in this world. Um, I was so excited. I had yeah. never sold a show before. So I was like, you should be on TV. I don't, I, I don't know if I can get you on TV, but I, I can try. Um, and so I took their idea to a couple of different production companies in Nashville. One kind of ghosted me. Um, and so I kept, I sat on it. I kept thinking about it. I kept checking in with Brooke and Bryce. I'm like, you know, this is, this is going to happen. I just know it. Um, and then I met um, a production company here that was willing to come and shoot a sizzle reel with Brooke and Bryce who had never been on camera before. And, you know, we shot for a half a day. We wound up cutting down a little two minute sizzle reel, kind of just like a, a almost like a 
camera test of, of how, you know, they would be on camera. We showed their incredible work. And then we brought it to CAA um, to help us try to sell it. They set up a bunch of meetings. Um, this was right before COVID. This was January 2020. So we wow. flew to New York and we pitched HGTV, Magnolia. Um, we actually pitched, I think CNBC was interested, weirdly. And then we flew to LA and we pitched Netflix, HBO Max, um, CMT. And Magnolia followed up. Magnolia was like, we really like their story. They were, Magnolia is a new network that's, you know, it's the joint venture between Chip and Joanna and Discovery. Discovery, right. And they were like, you know, we, we think they have a really interesting story. We'll invest a little money in a pilot. And yeah, cut to, you know, six episode order later. It's, it's being pretty um, well received. We're negotiating a season two right now. And it kind of just, it took off. So valuable and congratulations, Thank you. even though I know it happened about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, but still congratulations. It's such a big deal. And the lesson inside of it is great, I think, for everyone to hear, which is we flew to New York, to L.A. We pitched eight to 10 organizations. Mm-hmm. We didn't get discouraged by being ghosted. We didn't get discouraged by hearing no's. And of course, I know that you have armor built up for that. But if you're starting an independent film or you're trying to be a showrunner for the first time where you're going to be the executive producer because you wrote it and you created it, you may not have that armor built up for no. So it's important just to remind everyone, I think everyone knows, but to remind everyone, take the no's and keep going, especially if you really believe in the project and you think it's going to work out. Yeah. So thank you for that. That is great. The, the Show's format, by the way, is called a docu-follow. Mm-hmm. Now, how is that different than how the camera follows a protagonist in an ordinary, like a, a an ordinary type of documentary or reality TV show? Yeah, um, if you watch the show, you'll you'll notice that it feels a little bit more intimate and kind of authentic than a traditional reality show. So if, you know, let's say you turn on the real housewives and it's really glossy and there's really bright colors and, you know, things are, are, um, staged perfectly. Um, a camera's preset so that everyone perfectly walks into frame. This is a little bit messier. Um, we shot on cinematic cameras. We shot in, uh, like a more of a sort of cinematic frame rate. Um, the colors are a little more muted, a little more natural, um, there's a lot of handheld, so you kind of see a lot of movement and sort of like a verite style, some people call it. But really, it's it's just authentic. What's great about Magnolia is their aesthetic is very real. They don't like the fake drama. They don't like the, you know, the demo scene where somebody hits a sledgehammer and then water shoots out. None of that no. stuff. Yeah. They, they think they're investing in real stories about inspiring people who are taking leaps of faith in their own lives. Um, which quite frankly is what I'm inspired by too. So it was kind of this really lucky um, match that we found partners that were willing to take a risk and not do that kind of super salacious, you know, um, over the top format that we're used to seeing in reality. They're, they just kind of, it's real. It's real. How big of a crew do you need to do a follow? Well, we had a tiny crew um, for a few reasons. We shot all during COVID. So our first episode, we actually started shooting in June 2020. Um, so we had a camera, sometimes two cameras, 
audio, maybe an AC. And then we'd have like a COVID officer. Um, we'd have a, sometimes a PA, but under 10 people. I mean, it was, it was a tiny set. Skeleton crew. Yeah. And even then, um, sometimes some of the show, I would say about at least 20% of each show is they call it UGC content, user generated content, which is shot on iPhones. So sometimes Brooke and Bryce are literally shooting themselves and then that's literally just them or it's me, you know, kind of directing them, but the three of us alone. Yeah. I noticed those shots. I said, okay, like, okay, this is, this either is made to look like it's like selfie video or it really is. So that's really good to know. Um, What are the two biggest pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Uh, the two best pieces of advice, um, well, that Steve Jones thing about asking questions always kind of sticks with me and also just being the squeaky wheel, sort of being your own advocate, raising your hand when you want something. Um, I have learned that the most talented people don't always get the opportunity. In fact, most of the time, it's not the most talented person. It's the person that is speaking up for themselves, that is advocating for themselves, that is, you know, speaking up when something is going right or wrong, but, but they're confident to take the risk. So I think that's important. And also just remembering, and I've I've said this before, but knowing that everybody has a certain level of imposter syndrome Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to remember that we all start somewhere and just because, you know, someone maybe speaks really well in a meeting or carries themselves a certain way. I mean, we all are anxious. We all are taking risks in our lives, certainly in the entertainment industry. So just knowing that it's okay to try something new and not be great at it as long as you keep working at it. I think that's, that's really helpful to remember. Yeah. I would say I have a doctorate in imposter syndrome, <laughs> you, you know, even though I've EP three feature films and been around and uh, I've created some really wonderful relationships around the country, around film. There's still a moment where I'm just like, there's a guy on my shoulder yeah. telling me I'm not shit. <laughs> you know? But, you know what, and I don't hate that guy. That guy like keeps me humble. Right. But I also don't like the way he talks to me. <laughs> I know. Well, you got to tell him to shut up sometimes, but also you right. need Something that I've learned is I need to surround myself with good people that support me even through those moments. Um, one of my my very best friends from childhood, Dana Brewington, we've been friends since we're eight years old, but we've also lived these kind of parallel lives. She was Gail King's producer at CBS when I was Michael Strahan's producer at ABC. Yeah. Um, and we continue to collaborate on projects together. You know, we've been friends for, gosh, over 25 years. Um I know that I can talk to her about anything and she, she will remind me what my strengths are and vice versa. You know, we, we need to surround ourselves with people that lift us up, that encourage us to be creative and take risks and not um, make us feel insecure because there are plenty of people in this industry that have um, egos and they like to tell you what you're not good at. You need to find the people that encourage you to bring out the best in yourself, if that makes sense. Wonderful sense. And it's really fantastic advice. How jealous were you or in a friendly way uh, when you saw Gail King's interview with R. Kelly? Let me tell you, I was texting Dana. I wish Dana was here. We could talk about it. I, when I saw that one um, shot, the one picture go on Instagram of like him standing and Gail's just sitting there. I'm like, Dana, tell me 
everything. And she's like, it's still here. It's crazy. Um, they did such an incredible job. I was so proud of her. No jealousy at all. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think I would have wanted to produce that interview. Um, but I was so amazed at what they walked away with. And um, it's inspiring. I just, I don't, I'm not a very jealous person. I just get inspired like, oh, wow, they can do that. Well, I can do this. So probably a poor choice of words for me. I think more about just the competitive nature that you talked about earlier, where it's like, you want the exclusive, you want the interview. I left, I was already, I had already left GMA at that point. Now, if I was still working at GMA and I was getting screamed at by my executive producers about why we didn't get that interview, that would have, I would have felt a little differently, but just as a totally, you know, total third party at that point, I was, I was pumped for Dana. Yeah. What an amazing visual that image you described was and just her Gail being able to stay stoic and calm it was almost as if she was as she had set up a beach chair in front of a tsunami. That is that is a great way to describe it. It was something. It was, it was unreal. It was wild. Which creatives do you most admire and want to emulate? And, and what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that sets them apart? That's a great question. Um, I, I always look to people um, that are, first of all, empowering up and comers. So any, anyone like I, for example, Reese Witherspoon, what she has done with, um, Hello Sunshine, basically making a safe place for creative women to support each other. Um, and to show that women are capable of having any role on a set that, you know, I'm so inspired by people like her. She obviously is just a powerhouse on the screen, but behind the scenes, you know, she's changing the culture of our business. Mm -hmm. And so I, I hope to channel just a little bit of that energy in the work that I do, because I have seen how much it pays off to encourage, you know, interns and PAs, you know, to, to grow wings and do their own thing. You're always going to link back up with those people later in life. And especially for women and, um, for, you know, people of color, for anybody that's historically been marginalized in, in the entertainment industry or in a newsroom, I'm, I am hopeful that we are all kind of changing the narrative now so that it kind of will even the playing fields for the future. So I don't know. I just, I really like creative folks that can collaborate. I'm all about collaborating, all about meeting new people, trying new things. Um, and anybody that is doing that in their own lives, I'm, I'm totally inspired by. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon has a special place in the hearts of Nashvilleians. She Grew up here, went to Harpeth Hall, which is uh, just one of the top high schools, yeah. not only in this state, but in the country. So uh, we knew she was going to come out of here and, and, and do wonderful things. And by the way, the, the reason I got introduced to uh, Fixer Upper and Chip and Joanna was because their theme music is by a group called Johnny Swim. Yes. And Johnny Swim, I saw they, they were from a, ch- a church called Bethel. Now, um, the girl in the group, Amanda, she's like the niece of Donna Summer. And her husband is just incredibly talented. And they used to do local shows all the time. Like, I I remember seeing them at 12th and Porter when they had a four-song set and an EP. I think I still have it somewhere, like the original disc or whatever. (laughs) So just following them as a group that was also from here and then seeing them hit that theme song, it's like, oh, that's a perfect marriage between ideals right there. 
Well, and now they have a show on the Magnolia Network, so it's all full circle. Like Ma- yeah. Johnny Swim, their family is—I think it's called Home on the Road, or it, yeah, it, it's it's named after one of their songs, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a—it's a perfect example of exactly what I'm saying. Like people are going to come back around, the, the, especially the good people with good intentions. Um, if they're working hard and they don't quit, you're always going to find these folks pop up again. So just remember what a small world this is. Treat everybody the same way going up as, you know, coming down because you're, you will always remember the people that treated you well. And even more, you'll remember the people that treated you like shit. Yeah. Beautiful point. Uh, Speaking of people that could potentially treat you like shit, what are the (laughs) biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? Uh, Not showing up. That's a big one. Um, Complaining. Now, I should preface all this. You should be treated with respect on set. You should make a fair wage. Like all of this is very clear. Um, I would never suggest working in a hostile environment by any way. However, um, we all have to pay our dues. And so sometimes, you know, you start as a PA and you do have to make 40 trips to get coffee for everybody on the set. You do have to set up chairs. You do have to do annoying paperwork that nobody else wants to do. That is all sweat equity. That's all investment in your future. Um, So I have a hard time when I hear young folks complaining on set, just because I always want to say, what's your goal? Where do you want to be? Know that this is, these are the steps that you need to take to get there. We all went through it. Um, and one day you will be that showrunner or that DP or whatever role you want to have on the set, but you, you gotta, you got, you, you can't just go from A to Z. You gotta take all those steps in between. Um, so that, and then also just, I think, um, not giving people credit, not giving people their respect or, or um, you know, in a creative world, we all need to remember that we can collaborate, but we, we can't take other people's ideas. It's a very fine line. You can yep. share creative ideas, you can collaborate, you can develop projects together, but you can't steal. And it's something that happens very regularly, especially in development where people forget where ideas came from. So I think it's just really important to kind of audit yourself sometimes and say, where did this idea come from? Who did I work on with this? Make sure that you're giving people credit, giving people their fair share. Um, all of that stuff will will pay off in the long run if you are working with integrity and you know coming from a good place. Yeah, we interviewed Travis Nicholson, who was the showrunner for Still the King mm-hmm. on CMT. And that interview hasn't come out yet. But uh, at the point of this conversation, by the time this airs, it will will be out. But Mm -hmm. he has a story about that as well, just having to fight so hard to get the credit he was owed by CMT and the rest of the group of producers that were involved. Like, hey, no, no, this was my idea. Right. Like, this started with me, and I I really shouldn't have to fight this hard. And what he had to ultimately do was call their bluff on – Basically, we're like, well, if you want this credit, we're just going to shut down the show. And wow. and he he had some good lawyers that said, nope, that's just a bluff. They're not going to shut down the show. And sure enough, he was right, and he got the credit he deserved. So very, very good uh, feedback on that. This is one of my favorite questions we ask our podcast guests. And I think you're going to have a wonderful answer to it because you've been in all these different environments, both as a showrunner, radio live TV in the morning. So if you had one month to teach someone how to be a competent producer, just someone off the street, you pulled them off to the streets of East Nashville, 
You're going to teach them how to be a competent producer. What would be the first three things you teach them? Uh, wow. Well, for me, I would say you have to do a lot of listening. You have to really work on empathy. As a producer, a lot of times it's not about you. It's about making whoever is in front of that camera feel and look the best that they possibly can. Right. So um, sometimes that means we got to get our egos in check. <laughs> we got to make sure that everybody else is feeling um, their best and you're supporting them however you can, whether that's creatively giving ideas or if that's physically, you know, getting that caffeine that they need at five in the morning to give them a little boost to perform on camera. Um, I would say self-care is very important as a producer because that goes hand in hand with, you know, when you're, when you're giving all of yourself to make someone else look good, you need to make sure that you're healthy. You need to exercise. You need to get sleep. <laughs> all of that's very important. And then I would say, do you just, have a, sorry to interject. Oh, do, you, do you have a meditation practice that, you, you know, and, and I, thank you for reminding me that I really need to get back on it. Cause yes, I, I did for a very long time and it's so important. It's so important to meditate, to just breathe. I mean, literally just like square breathing, just take a beat, put your phone down and just catch your breath, um, drop your shoulders, all of that stuff that, you know, mm -hmm. we always forget. Um, and then, you know, you, yeah, eating healthy and all of that stuff. It's just, you got it. You have to remember that if you don't have this desk job, like you're running around, you're flying from city to city, like you got to stay healthy. So that's really important. Um, and then I would say the last thing is just giving yourself permission to be creative. Don't be afraid to come up with crazy ideas. They're not all going to be good. Probably most of them will be kind of bad or weird at first. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, what was really awesome about good morning America was it was a new two hour show every single day. So maybe you had a crappy show on Monday. Well, there's time to make up for it on Tuesday. You'd have to come up with new content. We would sit in pitch meetings every day and we would just throw out ideas to our bosses. And some of them were great. And some of them people would be like, what the hell are you thinking? But <laughs> you have to come up with them. So just allowing yourself to be creative and finding partners that, um, will sort of inspire you and, and encourage you to, to continue to grow. You know, the cool thing about the GMA audience is they really want you to put on a great show. They're like, they want to like everything you put in front of them. So they're, they're going to forgive you on Tuesday if Monday wasn't everything they hoped it would be. And I think that creates a wonderful platform for creativity as well. So for the audience listening, uh, let's go over those. So Sarah said, one, work on empathy. Two, got to have self-care. That means exercise, eat right, meditate. I would also throw in athletic greens as a life hack. Do a double dose if you catch, if you're getting on a plane or getting off a plane. I, that's my personal favorite. And then three, give yourself permission to be creative. Sort of teach people how to just brainstorm right away. And those are the first three things you need to be a competent producer. Almost con in conjunction to that, in your opinion, what are the top three resources for learning to be a producer? I know you're a big podcast listener, but is there a book? Are there online resources? Are there three you can think of that you kind of go to frequently? Well, podcasts, I, you said it, but I, I love um, when they kind of break down the fourth wall on a podcast and you'll hear, you'll meet the producer, you'll meet, you know, the other folks that are getting the show on the air. I think you can learn a lot that way. Um, I 
I think that in this time post or, you know, we're in COVID times, but hopefully we're, you know, getting back to normal, but we have learned that you can connect with people all over the world on social media. You can send a DM to somebody, you can reach out on LinkedIn. It's not always going to work, but you can definitely track down the people that are in positions that you hope to be in one day and ask them questions. Um, for a hot minute when clubhouse was a thing, I, I haven't been on in a, in a while, but I yeah. was, I really enjoyed it. Like at the height of COVID when we weren't leaving our houses because I was meeting, you know, TV executives and people like myself all over the country that I never would have met in any other capacity. And we were having these great conversations about how, you know, we got to where we are and I was learning from them and vice versa. So I think just putting yourself out there, asking smart questions to people, it's okay to reach out. Don't be offended if people don't respond. Um, but you know, you can connect with people in so many ways and you can always ask people, how did you get where, where you are today? One thing that I learned is people generally like to talk about themselves, especially when you're asking them things that about their own accomplishments, because yep. they're proud to share those achievements. Um, so just do that. Just reach out. Like I said, be the squeaky wheel. It's okay. If it feels a little awkward. When I moved to Nashville three years ago, I didn't know anybody here. I knew literally no people. And I was just going on literally like blind dates with friends. Like my husband, he's in the military. That's why we moved here. He's um, an active duty air force major. And so he was at work, you know, all day long. He actually deployed during COVID. And I was just like going out and, you know, meeting friends of friends, getting coffee. And it works. You just, you got to put yourself out there. It's a little awkward, but it's okay. Like we're all just trying to connect. So I don't know. I, I hope that's helpful. What is your social media network of choice for connecting? I think Instagram. I mean, I use Instagram the most. Now, I don't always respond to work DMs because I, I do treat it as a personal account. I have a private page. I'll, I accept most people. I mostly just do that for, I don't want bots and stuff. Um, but I get a lot of, uh, you know, questions on LinkedIn and I'll usually respond to folks there. Um, Twitter, I haven't been on quite as regularly as I, as I once was, but you know, just, just hit up whoever, if you're doing the research and you, you know, especially if you follow, like if you follow the good morning America, uh, Instagram account or Twitter account, you'll see a lot of the producers behind the scenes. A lot of times they get tagged. And so who knows, you can try reaching out to those people. If, if you want to work on GMA or you have questions, I mean, maybe they'll respond, maybe they won't, but it's, it's worth a shot. Yeah. And I'll back your recommendation of clubhouse. The reason I haven't been on isn't because it stopped being good. It's because it's on-demand listening. And because you can't export any of the conversations, you can't listen later like you would with the podcast, I never find the time to say, this is the moment where I can shut everything down and just be part of this conversation that's happening. And early on when I was using it, I was making the time because I wanted to understand the platform and see if it was a good fit for our podcast and the different things we were trying to do. Yeah. But all those conversations, you're right on. They were so much fun, so engaging. You learned interesting things. There's another app similar to it called Call-In, C-A-L-L-I-N. And it has that export feature. Oh. And if Clubhouse just does it, because I don't know if Call-In going to beat Clubhouse, because Clubhouse has that brand name already, and they were kind of first to market. They might, but if they don't, Clubhouse could really use that feature for those of us who want to just watch later. Because what was happening was people were recording on their phone, like the screen, like the screen recording function on your iPhone. 
yeah. recording the clubhouse conversations and then throwing them up on YouTube. Well, that's cool if you want to hear the audio, but the audio is going to be kind of terrible. Yeah. And the static uh, image you see on YouTube is going to be someone's phone. And yeah. it's really crappy and pixely. It's like not a great experience. Funky. But Clubhouse has the control to actually improve that. Like, like they could make that experience rich, but they are they are sticking to their guns on the core philosophy of the app, which is this was about being a fly on the wall in a conversation you weren't supposed to be in. Exactly. Yep. That, and that's what my favorite podcasts are exactly that. It's not, it's not overly produced content. It's like you are invited into a private conversation. It feels really intimate. That's why morning TV, you know, was so popular for so many years. It's like the most intimate relationship you can have with hosts is like waking up in your bed, turning on the TV, getting ready in the morning. Like you are part of this family. So I, that connection, I think no matter really what, um, format you're producing like you always want to connect with people in some way yeah it looks like it's so important or it sounds like it's so important to understand your avatar the avatar of your viewer your audience if you can figure that out man you've got a lot figured out the truth and the reality is of it and i would say this for this podcast as well we don't really have a very good like we don't have a perfect snapshot picture of who listens to this because of the way the analytics work we kind of know where they're listening, like what area, what cities, but we don't have a perfect snapshot of this is the person who listens, except for the people that are really close to us in town that we would call super fans that we love. Thank you guys. That or people who reach out to us via email or social that we know reach out to us all the time. Like, OK, that person does that job. That person is that. So that's why they're listening. And if you if you know better than that, like if you have a perfect snapshot and picture of your avatar for of your listener or your audience, you are so golden. Um, we are almost done. I told it. I, I promised I would get back to the hustle thing. Yeah. And there's always a question of like, at what point do I move to L.A.? Should I move to L.A.? Okay, I moved to L.A. It was crazy, and I had to move back. But what people always leave out is the move to New York. Yeah. And growing up in New York, to me. It's you have to add it. It's an interesting question. So I guess you're the perfect person to answer. What is better for a young filmmaker, a young film creative, L.A. or New York in terms of which one's a better test of your will? I know you've been to both. So I mean, I am not the person to ask about L.A. because I am New York ride or die. I'm always going <laughs> to you L.A. is not where it's at unless you want delicious sushi. Like, yes, move to yeah. L.A. Um Listen, I, what I like about New York versus LA is that the diversity in people that you're going to meet, um, outside of just, you know, uh, background or socioeconomic or whatever, people are doing so many different kinds of jobs in New York. Um, and in LA, it feels very much like every single person is in the entertainment industry. Even if you're a dentist, you're like the dentist of the stars, you know, and <laughs> right. I, I think it's important to ground yourself in reality and, and be inspired by people outside of this creative or this entertainment bubble. You'll, you, you will be more creative when you are meeting people that are unlike yourself. So, but I am not a, a scripted um, movie buff. I'm not like if if you want to pursue a certain track that you can only really kind of succeed in Hollywood. Sure, like go that go that route. But I just think the opportunities are so much more interesting in New York. I started in news. I now work in 
you know, this home reno space, never saw that coming, but I felt prepared because I had that foundation from New York. Do you think you'll ever do a feature film or a scripted? I mean, never say never. I, I, like I said, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now and I'm, I've enjoyed it very much. So if I'm, if I'm at the right partners, um, absolutely. I think it's all about who you're working with. And if somebody can bring a skill to the table and the kind of scripted, uh, long form feature space, and I can help with the development and relationships and, you know, brainstorming, then hell yeah, let's do it. Um, Hello. For now, you know, <laughs> let's go, let's go. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go down to Brentwood. We can start talking. That's um, right. But, you know, I just I'm just excited to try new things. I never want to feel stuck. And luckily, I haven't felt that way for one single day being in Nashville. That's wonderful. It's I'm so glad that it's worked out, too, because that hustle and bustle of New York, you wonder how that's going to be for someone who's not really trying to escape that. A lot of times we'll get people to come to New York because they're trying to escape something. Tons of people from Orange County, California. They come here because it's like there's no trees there and the schools are terrible. They're trying to escape something and hope that it's better. You're not trying to escape. You just have a change in life. So it's really wonderful uh, to hear that that coming from you for sure. Uh, Okay, You do something else that's really interesting that we haven't even talked about yet. But I thought it'd be cool for you to take us through sort of a mock session of this. So you do media training. Oh, yeah. And I think that. It is a sort of underserved area of the development of a film creative is understanding how to pitch, understanding how to work with other media. It's so funny that you will work behind the camera to bring stories to life. But if you get in front of the camera, all of a sudden it's not good. Or a lot of times we'll be asked to come and judge pitches and we'll be on pitch panels and these incredibly creative people not good at speaking about themselves or pitching their ideas. So can you provide some examples to this audience of some media tips and tools, just really short things maybe that you could say, I can improve your your media game and your presence with these three small things right away, maybe by 30%. I can make you 30% better right here by listening to this. Sure. Yeah. The first one is... Um, something happens when a camera starts rolling or someone starts recording where folks start talking like robots. Like they, people tend to turn on their best, you know, Diane Sawyer anchor voice. And that's not where it's at. Nobody, nobody wants to listen to you pretend to be a TV correspondent. If you are, you know, being interviewed leave it to the interviewer to handle all of the logistics and, you know, getting you on and asking you the questions and making sure that time cues are happening. You just have to be yourself. And it's okay if you don't speak in perfect sound bites, or even sometimes you'll, you'll use a word incorrectly. I promise nobody else is paying attention to that stuff. You are going to be your harshest critic. Just be yourself. Pretend like you're talking to your very best friend that you haven't seen in six months. So you've got this energy and excitement. You're smiling, but you're not like freaking out. Just as hard as it is, just pretend like nobody else is there and you are connecting with somebody that you love and care about and haven't seen in a long time. I like like to give that advice to people, especially when um, they are talking to a camera directly. 
because something very weird happens where, yeah, it's like they want to sit differently and their voice sounds different. It's like, that's, that's weird. People are going to pick up on all that stuff. Um, that's a big one. Um, also just setting yourself up for success in that, like, and I'm not actually a great example of this right now because my background is a little janky, but, um, (laughs) you should have good lighting. You should not be fidgeting with a bunch of jewelry or glasses that are falling off or an uncomfortable shirt. Just keep it sort of neutral. I like to wear a solid color, a solid dark color, um, not a ton of jewelry. Anything that's going to trip you up, just skip all that. You can you can be like a fashion plate somewhere else, but if you're going to be on TV, just keep it, like the focus should be on you and your face, not on all the other stuff. Um, and then just, you know, I think you want to be prepared. Like how I keep saying, be the squeaky wheel, ask a million questions before the interview. If you have any concerns about what you're going to be asked, ask the producer, Hey, can we talk about this? Can we not talk about this? Here's how you pronounce my name. Here's how you pronounce the name of my show or my project or whatever. You have to be your own publicist until you have someone that can do it for you. Um, And even if you do have a publicist, a lot of times you can do it better yourself. So just be your own advocate, stand up for yourself, get all of the logistical crap out of the way so that when you are ready to be on camera, all you're focusing on is you and the person that you're talking to. Yeah. Be essential. Be an essentialist. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yesterday, and by the time people hear this, it won't be yesterday, but October 21st, let's do that. Uh, Alec Baldwin killed a person on set oh my God. and it, it, I don't mean to make it sound so pejorative, like he didn't do it. You know, he didn't know there was the ability to do it in on the movie on the set rust, I believe is the name of the film mm-hmm. as a producer. How is that possible? How is it possible <laughs> to have a gun that can go off and kill? I believe her name was, uh, how, Elena Hutchins, and she was a really good DP mm-hmm. and up and coming DP. Uh, how, how would you have prevented that as a producer? The amount of text messages that I've been sending back and forth to my fellow producer friends, all asking the same thing. How does this happen? How does this happen at a time when sets are, we are so careful about COVID and wearing masks and who is where and tracking and all of this, how can we be so sloppy with um, the safety of our crew and our cast members? I, I don't, I truly do not know. I even, I asked my husband who is in the military, like, how does that happen with a blank? I mean, we were trying to understand. Um, All I can think of is sets are, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of players and long hours and things can slip through the cracks. That does not make it okay. And it is so important as a producer to check every single thing, make sure everybody is taken care of, everybody that is doing any job, whether you are placing a prop gun on a set or you are handing out waters to people. Everybody needs to be their best. And so you need to check and make sure that all of your crew members are okay. And crew members need to report if they are you know, feeling distracted or confused or tired or hungry. We just, we need to make sure that we're all being taken care of because it just feels like it was a sloppy, I, I don't know. I don't know how it happened, but I would hope that the lesson learned is that 
every single person on that set is the most important person at the job that they're doing. And so everybody needs to respect those folks and you need to make sure that you are doing your job 100%. So things like this will never, ever happen again. I'm not asking you to fill out an application for QAnon, but do you (laughs) think there's more to it? To QAnon? No, to to what happened on set there because this oh, is like, this oh is Alec Baldwin. This is the yeah. this is the star of the movie. So he he had to have been well taken care of, you would think. I I like what is the conspiracy theory behind it all? That I do not know. I actually my brain did not go there at all. Or it's is funny. it possible is, I guess. Not because I don't think we know anything. Well there there have been other cases. I know um what Brandon is Lee. Yeah, yeah. The, was it the crow or something? Yeah, the crow. I mean, accidents happen on sets. Um, it's tragic, and in fact, there is. Um, there, I mean, I'm in a lot of uh, private Facebook groups with other crew members. One is that I love is women working in reality television, where we all kind of share stories about like the good, the bad, and the ugly that happens on TV sets. Right. Um, typically, nothing that is this extreme. I mean. But, but there are things that happen on sets and we all need to talk about it and we all need to speak to executives, executives in charge, um, network execs, like anybody that has the power to make change. You know, there's obviously um, the the strike that crew members are all, you know, this is a very hot button topic right now. Like this is no, part I of it. To, yep. Yeah, like the crews feeling safe and and making fair wages and getting access to resources. I mean, all of this stuff, this is not a joke. This is this is why it's so important to have these conversations because I do I do think it's possible that something can misfire, maybe something wasn't cleaned correctly. I don't know. But um we have to pay attention to everybody on the set, not just the people on the camera, not just the ones making the million dollar checks. Like every single person is equally important. And so whatever it takes to make sure that everybody is performing at their best so that things like this don't happen. I mean, we, we got to do that. Yeah. It's, there's more to come on this. Obviously we have very little information now. I'm not in love from a journalistic perspective with how deadline wrote the article where Mm -hmm. they use the term live rounds that kind of misconstrues. I don't think an LA reader understands that that means blanks. Right. I think that that thinks that that makes the lay reader believe that Alec Baldwin had a loaded gun with bullets in it. Right. And that that choice is. There's just no way that that was. I don't know. They read that and said. Oh, we made a mistake. You know, like that's in there for a reason. That was that was clicky and uh, clickbaity. And I don't I don't like it. So it's salacious. And unnecessary and it could cost someone their job or their freedom or whatever just to because of the way that's positioned right potentially that's it's very important to have um yeah I, I mean news especially like you said the clickbait and all of the sort of sensational headlines and things we all need to be very careful um and we need to scrutinize anything that feels wrong we need to say why is it written that way and we need to get you know second sources on every article that we read if we have any questions. And that's all very, very important. Let's fight the good fight together, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, of, of fighting the good fight and, and connecting with people and connecting with other creatives, how can these people listening connect with you? Uh, where can we find you on social media, on the internet? Where can we see some of your work? Where can we see your show? 
Yeah. Um, well, you can you can watch Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce on Discovery Plus and the Magnolia Network. Magnolia uh, will become a linear channel in uh, January of next year. The DIY Network is is becoming the Magnolia Network. Oh, so okay. we should have a time slot. Um, that time is TBD. But in the meantime, you can get Discovery Plus or the Magnolia app and you can watch it. I would really greatly appreciate that. Um and then, yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on all social media at Sarah Kunin, K-U-N-I-N. Um, feel free to follow me, send me a DM, message me on LinkedIn. I'll do my best to respond. Sometimes I'm just underwater like we all are. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, thank you so much for doing this. Like this is, it's just so fun to connect with people in this way. And like, this was really the blessing in disguise of COVID is like, we can all meet on Zoom and like, I have all these friends all over the place now. Like, it's just so cool. Well, that means the world to me. And I do consider a new friendship born today. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'd love to, to just end on this. You use deadlines as a productivity hack, and I think yeah. it's brilliant. Can you share one tactic, maybe two, about how you trick yourself into a deadline when there isn't one given? I turn off all distractions. I put my phone in another, I'll put it on airplane mode. I'll, you know, limit the pop-ups on my computer and I'll put on, um, I have a few different playlists, like lo-fi beats on Spotify is really good to help me just dial in. And I just type, like if I have to write a, you know, a treatment or a beat sheet or something creative, I'll just like sort of stream of consciousness, just put it all in a word document. Um, and then you can kind of get into that flow. You know what I mean? Where like when you're really dialed in and being creative, the time kind of doesn't matter. Um, I love doing that. And I love um, kind of brainstorming in that same way. Like I'll carve out an hour with a friend and we'll kind of just talk through stuff. And then, you know, you can really get those ideas going. But it is, yeah, this is, I guess, the blessing and curse of my many years at GMA is like, I love a deadline. I love, there were days when I would be crashing a piece until two minutes before it was supposed to be on the air. <laughs> like I would be in the edit bay in, in New York, like, holy shit, are we going to make it? And then they would like push it and it would go. And then literally we would, room, it's called a room roll. You would play the piece that you just worked on live on TV and just pray that there were no black holes in the timeline. Um, <laughs> And, you know, by whatever grace of God, we always made it. So I, I do I do appreciate a deadline. All right. So for those listening, airplane mode, lo-fi beats on Spotify. There's also one on YouTube as well that you can just listen to and cut off your Internet and just get to work. And that will simulate a deadline for you. You'll feel like, well, everything's cut off because I have to get this done. Sarah, you're incredible. This is awesome. Thank you so much for all the time and uh, continued success on your show and all the things you have going forward. I know you have so much that is cooking in the skillet right now. I cannot wait to see uh, what comes out. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was awesome. You are crushing it. And uh, I'm just excited to catch up on more episodes. I mean, I got to get I got to I got to catch up. I'm yeah. a new fan. That's awesome. Please do. And if you need recommendations on some of our best interviews, uh, just email me, text me, whatever. And I'll just shoot you like five recommendations for basically what the audience like the most. Yes, so please send go. them my way. I will. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Be good. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the make it podcast. 
To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.